Hi everyone, my name is Michael Frazes. I'm gonna go through the gross sell-off because there's been a very steep sell-off in technology and the life sciences, um, basically in our sectors. It's got some very interesting parallels to prior periods, notably March, 2020, December, 2018, and even the beginning of, end of 2015 and beginning of 2016. All three of those um, situations were incredible entry points into these kinds of companies because they reached valuation lows and then accelerated onto new fundamental and valuation heights as well. I'm gonna go through what we've been adding to, where we think the best opportunities are, discuss how we've been able to kind of harvest some profits in some part of the portfolio. Notably, um, we actually made a lot of money in some crypto equities and have reduced those significantly, realized some pretty decent profits, and then been able to dramatically increase our weightings in our core holdings over the last several weeks. And the reason we're doing that is basically we want to make sure that we bounce a lot higher than we fell uh, and really set ourselves up because you can take much larger positions when prices are low, obviously, when, than when they're high. Um, so I will go through that now. So what broadly happened is there was a kind of midterm top in mid-November and about then the Fed announced they're going to taper and really shifted to a more hawkish tone. Um, the original idea was that go from effectively, you know, quantitative easing about 120, 125 billion a month, taper that all the way down um, to zero at 15 billion a month. So every month, 15 billion less. Uh, they, it then became increasingly clear that they're going to, they're going to accelerate that. Um, and the most recent number is 30 billion a month. So there'll be a 30 billion reduction every single month. Now, what quantitative easing effectively does is, you know, they create a debit and a credit. The Fed then buys treasuries. Treasuries are actually the lowest risk asset. They buy it off somebody else. The other person gets the cash. They have to go up the risk curve because the Fed's buying at the bottom of the risk curve. They might go into corporate credit, which will then go into equities, which will then go into something else. Um, what that the kind of end of that is basically, you know, equities. So generally, quantitative easing is very supportive of the equity market, um, and tightening obviously is the opposite, where effectively liquidity is being sucked out. Um, it's been sucked out of the bottom, so people effectively have to sell high risk things um, and buy lower risk things. The reason for that is obviously there's been extremely high inflation numbers that are quite significant. And that's effectively forcing the Fed's hand. So even if they don't want to do it to tighten, they basically have to because they need to keep inflation somewhat under control. And in many ways, the idea is like the more they can talk it down, the more they can seem to be in control of the situation, um, the less they will need to actually do. In effect, what, what that happened is there was a huge rotation in mid-November um, out of faster growing stocks into other sectors and a handful of you know, the, effectively the big five, so Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google. And broadly, the, the moves were quite significant. So in a way, it was kind of reverse of what happened. If you think about March 2020 and what happened in 20, throughout the rest of 2020, there was a huge rush into anything that was faster growing. Everyone sold um, the kind of slow growing value stocks and within the tech space, slow growing tech companies um, and rushed into faster growing names. Basically, very, you know, basically our names as well. We're beneficiaries of this. Um, we were invested before and we'll stay invested. Like, you know, these are just flows that come and go. Um, throughout this year, growth has slowed, growth has basically been selling off since February. And this accelerated massively after all these kind of announcements um, were made about tapering and, and future rate rises. Effectively, everyone's thinking, you know, I, I urgently need to have my Apple and, and Microsoft and Facebook um, stop back. And curiously enough, as the vast majority of tech stocks sold off significantly, companies like Apple ripped up, um, which kept the indices relatively elevated, um, both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. And to give you an indication of how powerful this 
rotation was, um, Apple actually announced that demand was slowing and they were having supply chain issues and they actually weren't going to perform as well as everybody was expecting. And it still ripped up. It's, it basically went vertical into the last few days. Um, and that gives a kind of indication of like the power of the moves. And generally these things, you know, rotations are short, sharp and, and painful, um, but they're generally relative, they generally are relatively short-lived. And there will be a time in the future when everything's actually, you know, Apple is flat or shrinking in terms of top line. Um, perhaps everybody will at some point rush back into these companies. But again, our strategy is to be in them. So we're not trying to predict these flows. Um, they're very unpredictable. I think the last, the last six months, the last 12 months, the last 10 years has kind of indicated how tough it is to actually predict these things. Um, but fast growing companies will outperform over the long run. That's just you know, a fact. If companies 10 times the size, that will be reflected in its values. And it's very hard to think of an instance where that has not been very well reflected in the share price. I feel like there's a lot of investors kind of buy things and they're like, why on earth is this amazing company you know, selling off? We've never really had that problem. Generally, when our companies have sold off, it's been because there's been a fundamental deterioration. And in fact, almost all of our companies are still significantly ahead of where they were when we first started buying over the last few years, even though they're, they're down significantly from their, their highs. ARK has been a bit of a poster child. I like talking about ARK because it's got listed ETFs, so it's very easy to track. Um, you can keep hold of it, you can keep track of it. Uh, you know the, the, the holdings. It's kind of an indication of, of, of how the growth space is going. And you can see that, you know, there's big sell-off over the last kind of six weeks. Uh, and I think they're down like 25, 26% the calendar year to date. But even, even ARC at the lows after a huge sell-off, it's really important to remember that the real winners were the people that held it long and held it early. ARC went through multi-year periods where it was actually down, including, you know, up until 18 months ago. Uh, and if you could easily have bought at any of those kind of the tops of these little rallies, you know, in 2019 and 2020, um, and then felt real stupid when it sold off. Um, but it was still, you know, one of the best performing funds that you could own. Now, I think there's ARC isn't exactly, we're pretty different to ARC. Our biotech, our life science is completely different. Um, I think she's got a few things wrong. She got, I think she got CRISPR wrong. Um, she put billions of dollars into companies that were very small serving academic institutions. So there's a lot of like really cool, you know, equipment that might analyze a single cell, cell by cell, you know, amazing. And then there's that kind of Gillette razor blood blade model where you sell a machine and then sell all consumables there's a few businesses like that that are, that are really, really good, but you know they went from five times sales to 100 times sales. And the reason for that, as far as there's a reason for anything, is that um, in markets is ARC was buying and putting tens of billions of dollars to work in these very small companies. Full beneficiaries to be owned some of those. We don't really own any of them anymore. But the problem with those companies is they're not big markets. You know, they can't, they're, they're, they're several hundred million dollar revenue opportunities, not several billion dollar revenue opportunities. The reason for that is academic institutions and actual research divisions, um, which are the only customers for uh, machines that, that can analyze single cells or analyze all the proteins in a cell at once. Um, the only people who buy those kinds of things are these research divisions of um, academic institutions and companies, and they're notoriously cash poor. Um, but that's been one of the kind of like features. So that's one of the key differences between what she's done and, and what we do. Um, we've also strayed away from things like Teladoc and Roku, which I don't think are significantly um, amazing opportunities for various reasons. This is like a selection of some of our stocks. You can see that there's been from the end of 2020, so the beginning of this year, um, to kind of using 2022 forecasts, multiples have dropped 60%. 
So there's been a huge contraction across our portfolio. This is a weight, this is just like an approximate thing. Um, and these stocks are down on average, unweighted average about 45% from their highs, um, whilst maintaining growth rates of over 100%. Again, just using a simple average. Our, if you weight our portfolio growth rate, it's across the portfolio, it's still well over 100%. And um, it gives you a, a sense of the size of the moves. Just to use these examples, you know, a 59% contraction in multiple has resulted in a 9% um, year to date move, minus 9% year to date move. So it's minus nine, but a minus 59% a contraction in multiple. Generally, that kind of shows how fast these things are growing and kind of gives some indication of why we hold these things and why we're confident that growth rates actually do translate into returns. In this case, we've weathered a more than 50% contraction with you know, a single digit loss, whilst the companies themselves are still growing at 100% plus, and that sets us up extremely well for the next one, two, three, five years. Um, this is actually pretty consistent across the growth space. So this is, I guess, about 20, 30 companies that are very well known that are mostly in software, but you know, kind of, we include things like Robin Hood and we include things that, that most people, that a lot of people watch in the space. Again, you can see that kind of 41% multiple contraction. These companies are all growing much slower. I sorted this by EV sales of this year. So we're basically at the end of 2021. Um, so we're moving to DEC 2021. We still have to use the forecast for the last quarter, but roughly these are pretty accurate for where we stand today, looking back. Um, and the interesting thing is you can see that a lot of these are actually still extremely high. So if you go to the top of this chart, your Snowflake, Cloudflare, Sentinel-1, Datadog, these are all about 50 times sales after pretty big falls. Um, funnily enough, they're up. So I think about there's probably three things that hurt us this year the most. First one is we, we just don't invest in those big five. I think they're amazing companies. Encourage people, to the extent we can encourage people to do anything, you know, to hold them outside in, in the NASDAQ 100 index. That's a great complement to our strategy because we don't overlap. Um, but they were the best performers this year, many of the best performers. So that hurt us. Um, not paying up for these software companies hurt us, but stand by that. I think they will have very mediocre returns over the next few years. I uh, just don't think you can pay 100 times sales or, or 60 times sales and do well over an extended period of time. Um, and when we invest, we'll never assume multiple increase. We'll always assume multiple contraction. So that kept us out of those. And now the best performing stocks, you can see that many of them actually up year to date and are still trading at you know, their, their multiples, still trading at very significant multiples. Um, and actually, if you look at Cloudflare and Datadog, you know, the, their multiples actually increased over this period. And this data is, uh, I sure would have run this about the end of last week, I think. Um, the third thing we did is we didn't invest in chip makers. And that probably was a mistake. Oh, that was a mistake. Because in hindsight, it's clear that it should have been obvious that there's going to be enormous demand for chips. There's obviously crypto, which had a bit of excess demand, which has a huge impact on pricing. Um, the reason we stayed out of it was because I first invested in chip makers in a previous cycle and they're very cyclical. So at the moment there's a chip shortage. And so all the revenue numbers look amazing. All the growth numbers look amazing. Um, and there's going to be enormous investment. Now, if that there is excess investment, which typically is what happens um, in any kind of economic field, because everybody invests today based on what the market looks like today without assuming what everybody else is doing at the same time. Um, there could be like a kind of effectively a chip recession. Now, that was the idea. Uh, I think there's something in markets. Sometimes you can get burnt by something and it doesn't help you well. So the people that got burnt in software in 2000, 2001, then missed huge opportunities afterwards. There's some small element of being burnt the first time many years ago in chip making. That was a mistake. So not only big five, not only chip makers, not paying up for these 
um, software companies increased in multiples. They were the kind of three most consequential things we did this year. We also had a blowout 2020 and extremely confident with where we are now, just because everything is trading so low. So these companies haven't been sold off or they've sold off a lot, but they haven't reached valuation lows on an absolute basis, whereas a lot of our companies have. Um, and you actually see this in this chart. So, you know, you can see that the top software companies have gone from 80 times sales to 39 times. This is the top five, um, the median of the top five software companies. The guy called German Ball, actually, who I should, who I should credit for this chart um, because I didn't make it. But 39 times is still high. So these things can and will trade at 10 times. To give you an indication of where these things are going, so Microsoft trades at 12 times, Google trades at seven times. They're kind of rock star, amazing companies at maturity where they're generating a ton of cash flow, um, buying back shares, buying other companies when they need to. That is the end stage for every successful company in the space, in my opinion, you know, somewhere between seven and 12 times sales. So these companies have a long way to go. And if they grow really fast, you know, they'll get there, but the forward returns are not particularly good if you plug that into a model. That's not to say the multiples aren't going to double again, but that's not a bet that we make. The reason I'm talking about these is that it's, I think there's an impression that we pay up for kind of these kinds of companies when we don't. Like we actually are pretty valuation focused. Someone asked for another comparison between us and ARC. The way we identify and invest in things is completely different. So we focus on much faster growing companies and I think we've done a much better job in the life sciences uh, and they're key differentiators. Um, but we don't actually overlap very much with them either. So if anything, it's complementary. Um, and most people are actually very much underweight all this stuff, whether it's us, ARC, um, there's a couple of good funds in Australia. There's, there's several good funds overseas that invest in tech. Generally, it's pretty safe, safe to say that most people are extremely underweight this part of the market, this kind of growth, technology, innovation piece. And generally, the more people invest in that, the better they will do. This is one of those rare moments where the rotation has gone the other way. Everyone got too excited. Now they've flipped too negative. And so the last six months has been a challenging period for all investors in the space. But over the long term, you know, it's never been clearer where tech and innovation um, or how tech and innovation are going to drive, you know, returns and basically suck revenues out of almost every other industry. E-commerce sold off first. It's been selling for a year. So this is a company called Coupang. So we would have bought this. Uh, I think I think our average price is in the, the mid-30s. Um, so I think we first bought pretty much in the first big dip this year. Training 2.6 times sales, 48% revenue growth, and there's been really heavy selling by SoftBank listed it. Interestingly enough, over the last couple of months, this has performed much better. So often you see when with these companies, the things that sell off first, then bottom, the ones that hold up are the, one, are the last to sell off. And so often you get people rushing in, selling the things that are underperforming, buying things that are that are holding up, only to then get hit by uh, those selling off later. And that's textbook as to what's happened over the last kind of several months as well. Uh, we made a new 5% position in Twitter. So Twitter's interesting for a few things. Firstly, the more we kind of focus on customer love, the better we go. And people are addicted to Twitter. I spend a lot of time on it, as some of you will know. It's trading at five times sales, so really cheap. Compare that to kind of where those software companies were. It's growing at just under 40% at the moment. New management um, and new revenue streams as well. So they now got a direct uh, financial relationship with Twitter users. Um, and they are, you know, you can, you can pay $5 a month and get a number of benefits, like the ability to edit tweets for a short period um, and access some newsletters uh, it's also trading at 21 times forward EBITDA, and that only assumes you know 20% top line. Whereas I think with new and focused management, there's a good chance they're actually going to push forward with all the kind of revenue lines that everybody thought they, they should have done years ago. Interestingly, Snapchat was in a similar situation a few years ago. The multiple went from five times to 20 times, and they 
more than doubled uh, in size as well. So it was one of the best performing uh, stocks. You can see many parallels, Snapchat to Twitter. You know, it's a unique asset. People really like to use it. And there's all kinds of, you know, revenue opportunities there. We also bought D-Local. Now, D-Local is an interesting one. It's reminded there's a ton of opportunities in payments, obviously growing extremely fast. Uh, as you can see in those growth numbers, uh, the stock halved in the last, there was a period between October and today with stock more than half. Uh, so from, I guess, September. And, you know, if you're in the third world, it turns out it's actually really hard to pay for things. People buy like payment cards to pay for next Netflix, all those, all those kind of US dollar, all those US tech companies that need US dollars. It's very difficult for somebody in developing countries to access that and to pay for that bizarrely. You know, all those KYC laws, you know, cause all kinds of trouble, unintended consequences. Um, they mean that people have to, in those countries, have to pay often 30% or more just to access those payments. And it gives someone like D-Local, which has kind of payment network networks all around and handles all, you know, the regulation, whether it's sales tax, the currency risk in places like Argentina, that's extremely real. And then just makes it a one-stop uh, shop for all the major merchants. And the penetration is still pretty low, even in the biggest countries you know, kind of less than 10%. Um, so plenty of room to grow there. This is another kind of position, again, you know, things have more than half. We've been able to make an aggressive new position in a new company. Schrodinger is another one. So life science has got particularly hard hit. I can't remember if I put the chart here, but, you know, the, the biotech index is down 36% so far. And that includes, the, the bulk of that is actually pretty mature companies um, with drugs, which should be relatively defensive. And so at the smaller end, the falls have been much bigger. So you have companies like Schrodinger go from 110, 120 down to you know, the, the 30s. Uh, Schrodinger was one of those um, companies that got sent to me many, many times. Basically, they do, it was Bill Gates had something to do with it. And they do drug discovery. But really what they do is software. So they sell software, licensed software out to uh, research institutes. And they also do their own drug development. So my opinion on this was you'd always value the drug development at zero. That's like the optionality. You can't actually pay for that even though that likely will over the next few years generate meaningfully valuable clinical assets, um, you have to buy this on the software business alone. Um, and if you look at the right uh, the EV sales chart, it's down to 10 times sales on existing software revenue. So we can now buy Schrodinger as a software company um, and get all that uh, biotech upside for free, basically. But also, these are kind of been long-term core holdings of ours. You can see they've had, this is Mercado Libre on the left and C on the right, because they have pretty um, torrid years. You know, they have also been pretty phenomenal performers. So if you look on the right, Mercado Libre is back down to where it was in both March 2020 and uh, December 2018 in terms of multiple. And you can see on the left, you can see that the performance was pretty spectacular from them you know, several hundred dollars to $1,200 today after a huge fall. So we think it always makes sense to buy these things when you get the opportunity. Buy an extremely high quality asset growing exceptionally fast and they've maintained that. They've had a very good year, even on very tough 2020 comparables. Um, generally it pays. There's no guarantees in life or in markets, um, but you can definitely look, look at history to see how well you could have done by buying these when the multiple contracted 75% as it has here. C is another interesting one. So C hasn't quite come back down to where it was, but you know, it's gone from, you know, I think it was, I think it topped it out at 18, um, or maybe a bit below time sales, and it's now sitting at about eight. So big contraction in multiples. Uh, they're entering new markets. They were very good at entering South America, which is they're the number one kind of threat to Mercado Libre, actually. 
um, but they've also just entered India and Poland. So they're going for Eastern Europe uh, and, and possibly Western Europe after as well. I think it was Portugal there as well. So huge growth, extremely good execution. Uh, they've been able to enter new continents in the past and do very well. And they've just sold off from you know mid 300s to just over $200. Um, and that move happened almost entirely in the last few weeks. And this is an example of a company that held up. So in our portfolio, this is one of the best performers all year, even as other things were selling off. It was the last to fall, but it still fell anyway. And now things seem to be bottoming, seem to be bottoming in both this and Mercado Libra. Um, it was up 10% last night, for example. This is another example of a company that, and I'm putting this one in because it's gone from $120 to kind of, um, I think it was like $35 a few weeks ago. So huge falls, huge contraction in multiple, 58% top line growth. Um, just another example of how far things have fallen and how different the picture is today than it was a few months ago or even at the beginning of the year. Um, there's been a huge contraction in these kinds of things. Um, one of the few things that has held up was our nylon. So this is RNAi. It's one of our two, um, I guess, mRNA platforms, the other one being Moderna. They actually pioneered the lipid nanoparticles used by Moderna and Pfizer. Slightly different one. So it looks like for every different tissue, you're going to have to do a different lipid nanoparticle. They've got four treatments in the market. I think they're treating six different uh, diseases, 500,000 patients already on them. And they're focusing on new indications like hypertension, um, developing new lipid nanoparticles for new tissues and going for kidney stones as well. So this is one of the better clinical development pipelines you will see. And this is kind of the data they got in hypertension. So I think there's over a billion people that suffer from hypertension could benefit from a treatment like what Alna Island is developing. Um, this is an example of kind of what happened in the life sciences space. So you have companies going from kind of five time sales all the way up to 125. Um, I was just referring to ARC previously. Um, this is one of their core holdings. So you can see as the tens of billions of dollars went into ARC this year, I think the main ETF had 20 billion of inflows and then 10 billion of outflows. Um, since there's a huge run up in multiples. And this is where your only kind of guide here is actually the absolute levels. So you just can't buy these things on an absolute basis. And they still are now. 1999, what is the difference between now and then? Number of those funds fell 95% and closed. Look, there's a few things. I think a lot of those funds, you think that that was a proper recession in technology. Um, so you had a lot of people that would you know, buy hardware, for example, for a startup. You had to set up your own servers. People invested a ton of money in laying cable all around the world, which laid the groundwork for the next 20 years of tech development. Um, all those companies basically went into a proper recession. So declining revenues, sacking staff, almost everybody shrunk. That's the opposite to what we have now. Now we have companies still growing at 100% but doing exceptionally well. That is a pretty core difference to then and now. I think then there's other thing, there's other factors as well. So things got way, way too cheap then. And I mean that relatively to where they landed. So it reminds me a lot of crypto. So everyone, I'm not the first person to say this, that's for sure. But the internet then was a crypto of today. It was seen as like ultra risky. And a handful of people got in early and made a ton of money. People quit their jobs and went to trade internet stocks. Um, I know a lot of people who've quit their jobs and trading crypto now. Um, and they were kind of right. They're all right. Technology and the internet was that big. It did revolutionize everything. Almost all the new big companies were founded after that um, and based on the internet. All that kind of hype actually came true. But obviously, the companies then just sold off too much, went into an actual recession, um, were coming off too high a base. Um, there's basically many differences between that and today. At the moment now, you will not, it's, there's a chance that you might be able to buy a Shopify, you know, two times sales or five times sales. I, I just can't, I don't think anybody will do that. I think there's too much, people made too much money in technology. 
those things were way too cheap then and it's been resolved we know how important these companies are we know how there's multiple examples of how um how profitable they can be and, and you know, a lot of them are at that stage so the vast majority of companies we own don't need to raise money and instead of shrinking like happened in the 1999 sector they're either growing as fast as they ever have or faster than like other companies it's pretty unprecedented so they're, they're, they're like pretty important parallels i think the difference between like massively shrinking industry and then like a rapidly growing companies and then all those other things around the fact these companies are making money they don't need to have massive capex like those companies do so you have that like capex recession yeah it's pretty interesting to think about these things and think about why that was different and there's one other really actually the most important thing the most important thing about 99 2000 by a very long way is that that scared a ton of people out of technology to the point like literally i think into the last year i think there's people who are negative on technology into the last year i know because i met some of them at institutions uh while talking about this fund we thought who we were super cynical about tech then just started waiting in in the last one two years maybe with a particular software fund now funnily enough this is not the time to be invested in a software fund those things went from five times sales to 80 times sales it's still 40 times sales just just using that chart that i showed earlier anyway there, there's some thoughts on that and kind of differences between now and then it's important to note that you know we're fully invested in equities equities there's no rules in terms of what things can equities can and can't do data suggests inflation spiked in november 21 with rate hikes price and investors have rotated out of hiding into large cap tech do you think assets in your portfolio have bottomed? Look, I think they have. And I think the, the ones that sold off first, like Mercado Libre, already have bottomed. Now, last night, our US stocks were up just under 5%, which is a pretty big move. It's the first time that's kind of the last few days we've seen the first time where we've our stocks have dramatically outperformed large cap tech. People are kind of fickle beasts. They will have to chase those high growth names at some point. But you know, our strategy doesn't depend on that. So if multiples just stay where they are now, namely 60% below where they were at the beginning of the year. Our returns should roughly approximate, you know, the organic growth rate, adjusted for dilution in shares and things like that. Um, so that's kind of the focus. That's kind of where we think things are now. There could be another leg down. There could always be another leg down. Um, but ultimately, I think for things to get worse, you need to see what we saw in 2000, 2001. You need to see things deteriorate. Otherwise, this is just a rotation. And I think that's a really important distinction. That's the difference between 2015 and 2016, 2018, um, and even March 2020. You know, those things, those sales would have continued and gotten much worse, but it turned out the companies actually did better than ever. Um, and we're in a position to buy back stock as well. So there are actually, it's not, I can't say equity prices can do anything, but there are things that kind of anchor them. One of the things companies can buy back, um, which obviously big, big tech does a lot of, you know, we have a five and a half billion dollar company that just announced $300 million buyback. Um, so that they're buying back more than 5% of their shares. And so there's things like that, and that's cash going out of the company into the market, taking other people out. You know, there's there's a few things like that. There's also private equity that can come in and buy companies that get too cheap. And in fact, that happened with Twitter. So Silver Lake has the major shareholder in Silver Lake, um, who has the capacity to take them out. You know, so if Twitter halved, you can imagine they almost certainly would. So there's a few things like that that do do kind of tie these values into the real world. It's not just factors and rotation and things like that. There's there's risk and there's reward as well. And so if you think about the rewards from investing in times like this, they're pretty spectacular, whether it's March, 2020, December, 2018, these things don't happen very often. And you know, you might get, if, if you're sitting on the sidelines, you might get lucky and there might be another leg down and then you get a chance to buy in. Um, but firstly, in my experience, you're always better buying on the way down. It's the only way to kind of make sure you're there at the bottom and, and capture the full amount. 
usually because things turn so 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 quickly. And secondly, you won't get the opportunity to buy things. Generally, those opportunities are pretty fleeting to buy good assets cheaply. Um, they come and go pretty fast. Uh, so there's some thoughts on that. Somebody's asking about inflows. Um, look, we've we've been lucky to raise money every month this year. We have uh, over 350 investors. There's always a bit of turnover, and obviously that's the way we've structured it. We want people to know that they can get their money back um, within 30 days. But we've also been fortunate in the sense that we've got a lot of support. And we've been able to raise money this entire period, which is good because it, it makes life a lot easier for us. That's for sure. Um, it also means that you know when the rebound comes. You tend to, because you always raise, because you're always raising money, you always lose more than you had in the past for a percentage move. But generally, when you get the uplift, you then make more than you've ever made. Um, that's just the dynamic of when a fund's growing. Thoughts on stocks like Upstart, Zoom, and Asana. I'll give some quick ones. So Upstart, we really like. We bought, we've added pretty heavily. We bought roughly around here. The stock went from you know 140, 150, um, where we bought to 400 almost immediately, and then in the last few months it's gone from 400 back to 140. We went from, I think we've increased our position more than three times basically in the last week. Um, so we've taken advantage of that sell-off. Again, the company growing exceptionally well. They've reported over that period um, and you know, kicking goals. They're extremely profitable. They don't need to raise money. Um, super exciting. We like it. Zoom is interesting. Zoom has sold off. I wish I had this chart in front of me. Um, but Zoom has, Zoom has sold off extensively. It was one of those like red-hot coronavirus stocks. I think last time I checked it was... Was mid-teens EV sales throwing off cash, um, the relatively little, little growth quarter on quarter. So very good, still still strong year on year numbers, but over the last three months relatively flat, um, and that's the concern around Zoom. And you know if these things aren't growing, they're going to go the multiple contract further. And again, I would point to Google being seven times sales, Microsoft being eleven times sales. Both those companies growing still. Um, a good, profitable, growing company should end up somewhere around there. Uh, I think that's the best you can hope for, given the quality of those companies. It also suggests that there actually is still opportunity in those large cap tech names. Like they are not as expensive as everybody thinks, even after being the best performers over the last kind of 20 years. When will you launch a retail fund? Uh, it's in the works, hopefully around February. Thoughts on Fiverr and Upwork? Uh, we've looked at those. It's just so hard to untangle how much of last year was a one-off and how much that will reverse haven't really landed either way. So put it in the kind of not sure, probably a good long-term opportunity, but I don't think as, as, as compelling as some of the other things we've done. Will I offer a buy now, pay later option for the retail fund? Sadly not. So basically in summary, uh, Fed tightening actually, there's a couple of instances in the last few years where they've made really good entry points. That was 2015 and 16 and 2018. Generally in both of those, the Fed changed course and that's what triggered the subsequent rally. The good news about these kind of rotations triggered by Fed sell-offs is if things deteriorate, they can reverse course. They're only doing this because things are so good. You know, and our company's growing so fast. And in fact, you know, our strategy tracks hot money in both directions, um, but it's tracked hot money because these companies did so well. Um, and now it's gone full swing to the other way. High rates and tapering, you know, that is now increasingly priced in. There's, there's also the effect of flows as well as, you know, expectations. Um, you know, that's now a no known. It's not a case of we're switching from a, a dovish uh, environment to a hawkish environment. We're now in a hawkish environment. Uh, the tightening started on December 1. Um, that is now all kind of part of the kind of complex mix of whatever makes prices today. Um, we're about to move into 2022. So all of a sudden those forward numbers will be current numbers and the forward number will actually be 2023. And our companies will be two to four times the size on average 
by design than they were at the beginning of this year. Um, and so that kind of bodes pretty well. We're avoiding expensive parts of the market like the faster growing software companies and scientific equipment. Um, there's plenty of opportunities in other parts, uh, particularly now when everything's down so much. Um, when don't depend on multiple expansion, um, we can weather a very significant multiple contractions, um, not quite 60%, but you know, 50% <laughs> weathered. Um, but really that kind of highlights how these growth rates and multiples and valuations um, play in together and why we've constructed the strategy. So we're almost entirely focused on fast growing companies. Another thing that's worth noting is, and I know this will wind a few people up, but you know, short interest is a really good prediction of what happens because there's been a ton of net selling. Um, short interest has risen in art, short in so listed ETFs, as well as all the whole underlying stocks. Again, we don't know that too much with them, but it's just an indication of what of the it's kind of the groundwork for the next big move up. Um, and over the last kind of few months, we've been able to significantly increase our holdings in the stocks that we hold. And part of that is, you know, we got, I guess you could say lucky uh, in some crypto equity investments, we were able to take that cash and then dramatically increase um, our holdings in the others. And we did that by being early and being consistent. Um, so we're gonna, we're coming out of this now with much bigger holdings in our core positions. So that's kind of exciting too. Um, I might stop there. I uh, hope that was helpful. Uh, feel free to click me an email if you want me to answer any questions next time or elaborate or expand on any of that. And I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas and break. Thank you.